0: Check one, two. Yep. Microphone check. Yeah. Is mine coming, Brian? Is mine coming? Yeah, in? you're coming in just okay. fine. All right. All right. Ready to do that countdown? Three, two, one.
1: Uh, yeah. All right. So you you, you just lead off. You
0: want me to lead off? Yeah. You, you lead should off. go. You usually do it though. Don't worry about it. All, All right. So it. three, two, one. Good morning, Conversation family. Brian and Tony here with you. Glad you're joining us on a Monday morning. Might be Wednesday afternoon. Might be Friday night. It don't matter when you're listening, but we're glad you're here. We hope you had your eggs. We hope you've had your bacon. Hope you got in that shower this morning, scrubbed your hair, brushed your teeth. But you know what? Uh, We're just glad you're here to enjoy this conversation with us Yeah, and while you're
1: on your way to work right now, we're still in the heat of summer. It's probably 83 degrees on your way to work, and you're enjoying that nice, cool air in your car, but your wife's still at home sleeping in a little bit and she's sweating because you got your air turned off and it's already hot in that house and so what the solution is is to get your heat and your air fixed you want it cold in the summer you want it hot in the winter and the best way to do that is get with our friend nat anderson at nat anderson heat and air Tony, why don't you give us a contact number so we can get a hold of Brother Anderson.
0: So it's 870-664-1967. And you know what I like about them, Brian? It don't matter if you have a new construction. don't matter if they're doing a fresh install. They do some maintenance. They do repairs. They do it all from A to Z, Brian. It don't matter what they have to get done. They do it for you. That's 870-664-1967. And tell Nat Anderson that the conversation
1: sent you. If you're a lawyer out there and you've got a law office with a parking lot that's got a pothole in it, I want you to know I'm about to come by and I'm going to trip in that pothole and sue. How are you to sue yourself. If you're a business owner and you've got a crack in your parking lot big enough to break my mama's back, I'm never doing business with you. If you're a pastor out there and you've got a pothole deep enough to double as a baptistry, just forget about it. But we've got a solution for all the above, and that is with Craig O'Brien, Seal It Up Incorporated, Tony, let us know.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Seal It Up Company Incorporated, locally owned and operated out of Northeast Arkansas. But you know what, Brian? We've heard it once. We've heard it twice. And now you're hearing it a third time. You don't have to be in Northeast Arkansas to have these problems where Seal It Up comes and fixes it. You know what? It don't matter if it's asphalt that needs to be replaced. It don't matter if you just need a fresh seal coat. It don't matter if you need new lines to be striped. They take care of it all. It don't matter if it's a driveway. It don't matter if it's a parking lot. It does not matter where it's to, where it's from. It don't matter. They take care of it all. You know what sets them apart, Brian? We've talked about it before. If you're a church, if you're a nonprofit, they give back. Tell me about another business that does that.
1: Another business likes to give back. I don't know what
2: business it's, you want to talk it's, about. It's
0: not out there. It's not out oh, there. Oh, that was a trick. That was a trick. But you know what? you got to give Craig a call right now. That's 870-897-4787. Brian, your house is the uh, biggest investment you'll ever make. Why are you going to let it get run down? Call 870-897-4787. Let Craig take care of that driveway today.
1: Hey, Tony, speaking of the house being a big investment, let me know, if I want to buy a new house, who do I need to get a hold of?
0: Man, I'm so glad you asked. We have a couple of people over here that are friends of the podcast. Their name is Mike and Lisa Barber. They're licensed realtors with the Jonesboro Real Estate Company. You know what? don't matter if you're looking to buy... Don't matter if you're looking to sell. Hey, maybe you just want to rent for a little while because the house that you're really wanting is just not for sale yet. You know what? Mike and Lisa can help you take care of that. You get two realtors working on your behalf, Brian. You call them today, 870-761-1000. It's the first step. Mike's ready to take your call,
1: guys. 870-761-1000. Call Mike today. And you know what you need in that new house? You need a nice Italian cooked dinner. But wives, you already know your husband, he doesn't know how to cook anything but cereal. And husbands, you already know that your wife, her grandmother didn't teach her nothing when it came into the kitchen. So what you gotta do is you gotta go out to eat every night. And there is not a better place to go out to eat in Northeast Arkansas than the sorry Italian oven. Tony, why are you laughing over there? It's because you know it's true. Down at twenty two thirty South Caraway Road, there's a restaurant here in Jonesboro, Arkansas. It's been serving the Northeast Arkansas community for over twenty five years with their a uh, faithful and very dependable quality Italian food. That is Lazari Italian oven again that is at 2230 South Caraway Road. You can look them up online, the link to their website's in the description. You can give them a call and place an order to go. And they also work with Jones World to go. <laughs> Tony can't hold it together. He's singing about his mother-in-law's cooking over here. (laughs) This is a boy over here that you know he's gone to Los Aris a couple of times. (laughs) Hey, whenever you get down there, why don't you let him know the conversation sent you. This episode of the podcast is with Alexis Cox from Paragould, Arkansas. If there's one thing that we want people to really take away from this conversation is that deliverance is possible.
0: When we got the opportunity to sit down with uh, Sister Alexis Cox, we, for the first hours, you'll begin to hear that we got to hear of all the things she had to overcome and all the struggles she had and all the things she dealt with. But for the last 30 minutes, Brian, we got to enjoy who she became, who we celebrate today. I hope you guys take this in and enjoy this conversation.
2: And I just cried and cried. And of course, you know, I went and got high and partied, but that stuck with me. That was a seed. And so that is something I look back on now. Anytime I witness to somebody, I know like, hey, I could be planting a seed that shatters them spiritually in a good way later.
1: Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast.
0: Tonight we have on a very special guest that we have had a lot of people ask us to interview Brian. And luckily she's close enough to where we could do it on a whim.
1: Yes, and, and here we are. It's almost 10 o'clock at night and because she just got off work. And so she came in, uh, and I, I heard her pulling on the church door because it was locked because of Tony having a paranoia of entering <laughs> anyway, into a church by himself. And so right out of the gate, we want to ask Tony, why are you so afraid of walking through a church late at night? Because I'm Holy Ghost filled. <laughs> and that causes you to have fear? That should be...
0: That's a why... A from fear. Okay,
1: let me tell you the whole story then. Okay.
0: So I was sitting at my dad's church at his desk studying for a youth sermon that I was going to be pre- uh, preaching the next morning. It was like 11 o'clock at night, and I was looking down while I'm studying, and in the corner of my eye, I saw a light, almost like what was in the shape of a figure, and so I looked at it, and it was gone. So I looked back down, and I looked up again, and it was there, but then it flashed by real quick. That was my cue to get out. I was scared, and I was probably maybe just a car driving around. I don't know, but that was a risk I wasn't willing
1: to take. You're just a weenie. That's (laughs) hot, (laughs) honestly.
0: Anyway, who we have on the podcast tonight is Alexis Cox from Greater Vision Church in Paragould. Alexis, how are you tonight?
2: I'm good.
0: You're good. All right. (laughs) You have a tremendous story that we want to cover. We've had a lot of people say, hey— Talk to Alexis. So I didn't quite know your story, um, so I called your pastor, got his permission to talk to you, and he gave me a little bit of a background. I was like, yeah, this is somebody we need to talk to, because the things you are going through, or things you went through, I should say, is very relevant in the 21st century church. Yeah. And so let's start from the very beginning. Share your story. Were you always raised in church?
2: Um, No, so I went to a Baptist church as a child. My grandparents were, they didn't want to go with me, but I would always go to Sunday school, so I always had that hunger there as a child, Um, and my neighbor would come pick me up for church. And then as a teenager, I started getting kind of rebellious, lying to my grandparents about where I was going around like 13, 14, spending the night with my friends when they were having parties. And my grandparents got invited to an apostolic church, Um, One of their friends was preaching, our neighbor actually, and they made me go (laughs) and so I was drugged to church and I hated it and um, as a teenager I had tried to commit suicide and so I had been kind of like depressed and I was already on antidepressant medicine and so that was something that was a huge burden on them, and I think that propelled them to the gospel. So they were ready to receive salvation at that point, but I was not, and I hated going to church. So that was, I didn't really want to go to apostolic church, but that was kind of my childhood.
0: So you came into a apostolic t- church for the first time as a teenager?
2: Probably, yeah, around the age of like, 16, I want to say. And
0: you keep talking about your grandparents. Are they who raised you?
2: Yes, they adopted me when I was like six.
0: So do you know your parents?
2: Yes, I know my mom. I don't know who my dad is. Um, but my mom has always been there, um, involved. But my sister has autism, le- very low functioning. And so my mom decided that it would be a good choice. I would get more attention and I would have college paid for with my grandpa, my grandpa being a veteran. And so that was her choice to let them adopt me.
0: Sure. So you came into an apostolic church for the first time as a teenager, and I saw the pictures. Right, yeah. And we're actually going to post some before and after pictures on Facebook whenever we release a um, preview of your podcast before it releases, and you looked nothing like the people in that church.
2: Right. So I had really spiky hair and it was short and like, I had like really thick eyeliner because I was really like emo. And at the time, emo was like a thing. Now, you know, you get mocked or whatever. (laughs) Everybody mocks emos. But um, yeah, so new age, I would be like a hipster.
0: So the picture I talk, I'm i talking about that I saw, you had shaved head on the sides and like a two-foot mohawk right up in the right, middle.
2: Right, right. So that was like when I was probably 19, 20 or, yeah, 21 maybe.
0: So at what age did you come into the church and say, this is it for me?
2: 21. At I was 21. 21. Mm-hmm. Tell,
0: tell that story. You told me a little bit about that story, and it blew my mind.
2: Right. So I want to reverse a little bit to... The buildup is really important. So um, a couple years before I had gotten in jail, I went to jail and got in some trouble with the law. And so that was really like a paradigm shift in my life, kind of. And I felt like spiritually looking back at it, I mean, I was delving into some demonic stuff at that point. And so it got more serious, and I felt like, okay, I need to do something. When I was in jail the first time, I tried to have like a change – But I just couldn't let go of addiction. It just still had a grip on me, and I ended up revoking, revocating my probation because I couldn't let go of drugs. I tried to have that step towards God while I was in jail, but I just couldn't do it. And so when I was 21, a lady from Greater Vision was working at Goodman's, which is just a little convenience store in Paragold, or it was. It was in a different area. And so, but they still are there, but it's a different place now. But um, it, I went through the drive-thru, and I was going to get cigarettes and smoke, get stuff to smoke pot. And she knew what I was doing, and she could tell that, obviously. And um, this is a lady that would shake my hand every time I went, and I would just, like, look at her like I hated her. From when I would go with my grandparents, she had come out of drugs herself, so she recognized the spiritual battles I was facing. And so she and another lady would always come and check my hand. And I looked at her like, Oh, I hate you. Cause it was the, the stuff I was fighting. And she told me that day that a box of cigarettes was not worth my soul. This is six months before I came to church. And so when she told me that, it just shattered my hardness. And you know, as millennials, we we've always been babied like you you deserve to win. Everybody wins. Even if you come in last, you win. And my grandparents did that. They babied me. Everybody had babied me to this point, even when I went to jail. And so for her to say that, it was kind of hard, you know. She Looking back now, she says, I couldn't believe I said that. It was God because I didn't want to say that. And so when she said that, though, it cracked my shell. And I bawled. Like, I pulled off, and I was like, okay, bye. And I pulled off, and I bawled at that Goodman's, and I just cried and cried. And, of course, you know, I went and got high and partied, but that stuck with me. That was a seed. And so that is something I look back on now. Anytime I witness to somebody, I know, like, hey, I could be planting a seed that shatters them spiritually in a good way later. And so that's what happened to me about six months before I came initially for my, like, conversion for real And so I was in a relationship with a girl who's really abusive and she was like a drug dealer. And so I was trying to get away from her for a weekend and I went to my drug dealer and this guy, he always sold me pot, but this specific time he goes, listen, all I got is acid. And I was like, "Um, okay, I just want to get high because I always just wanted to get high or just get away from it, get away from my pain. And so I was like, okay, man, give it to me. I don't care. And so he gives me the acid. All my friends are drinking this night. And so they say, you know, don't, don't trip by yourself. But it was God. It was the will of God that I did it. And I I know that that sounds bad. I
0: just looked at Brian. I was like, did she say it's the will of God to do this acid?
2: No, listen. <laughs> I know that sounds so crazy. But maybe it wasn't the will of God for me to do the acid. Maybe that's a bad way to say it. But God used it.
0: God planted your steps that night.
2: He planted my steps. He knew that my druggler wasn't going to have weed, and he knew that my friends were going to be crazy. And so anyways, long story short, that night I made up in my mind. God spoke to me that night, and and now I know the voice of God since I have a relationship with him. At that moment, I didn't know what was going on. But he said, if you do not stop what you're doing right now, you're going to die and go to hell. And my friends were drunk. I was at this other house, and they had decided that they wanted to drive. And so I'm in the back of this car. They had lost their dog. And so we're driving. My friend is belligerently drunk. And it was like payday, right? So we had all just bought all this alcohol and drugs, and we are all just like liquored up. And I had even drank, even though acid doesn't mess with you, or when you're on acid, alcohol doesn't affect you, but I had drank like a bunch of alcohol that night. And so if basically what I'm saying is if I would have blown a breathalyzer, I would have been drunk by the cop standards. And so they're all driving around trying to find this dog, and I'm in the back seat like... If we get pulled over, I have stuff that's going to send me to prison. I had already had a record, and so I'm just having, like, this crisis in my mind. If we get pulled over, I'm going to prison. And they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about this dog. And so they take me to my other friend's house, and they drop me off because I'm over it, over what they're doing. And she says, we sit down and we're smoking, and she's like, do you think that you're really gay? Because we're talking about my girlfriend that I'm running away from at this point. Because she wanted to propose to me. This was in December, and she had already mentioned marriage to me. And I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to break up with you. But she was psycho, so I didn't want to break up with her. And so then my friend asks me this question, and I just looked at her and I said, well... I don't think so, because that means I'm going to go to hell. And she was like, oh, no. And at that point, she changed, and she was high on something else. I don't even know what she was high on. And she said, okay, you need to get out of my house, because I said something to her. I don't remember what I said to her, something about angels, and she's like, you need to leave, because it freaked her out. And so I left. I'm tripping. I'm driving my car, and I'm driving down the road. And that's just a miracle in itself, y'all. I know y'all probably have not done drugs, but um, that is a miracle that I made at home, period. And so I made it home, and this is Saturday night. And so that's a Saturday night. I get home. I'm tripping. I feel darkness all around me. And I just have made up in my mind, like, I'm going to church. And so I knew exactly where to go. I where I felt God, and that was greater vision. And so that was Saturday night, and I asked my grandparents, hey, what time does church start? And they looked at me like I was insane. They're like, you're kidding, right?
0: Because well, let, let, let me stop you right here because I'm glad we're kind of talking about before you got into church. I was going to loop back around, but I'm kind of glad that we, we, we went back already mm-hmm. because you talked about being being involved with some demonic things, Absolutely. and you you talked about doing some drugs, and that you were in a homosexual relationship. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: What what all did your life consist of? Because your grandparents, you said, just looked at you like you were crazy.
2: So my life, um, to put it in perspective, depression so deep that when the lady that spoke to me at the gas or the convenience store. She became like a mentor in my life, and she helped me clean my house because my grandparents were hoarders. And so this is kind of, I'm just setting you up for the spiritual climate that I was living in. So we found like a den of maggots underneath my clothes because that's how deep the depression had gotten. And, you know, people people can't talk about that kind of stuff. That's depression right there. Like, you don't want to clean yourself. You don't care. That's where I think depression starts when it's like, I don't care. And I didn't care. I didn't care what happened. And I didn't care what happened with me. And I think that's why it was so easy for me to get into all the other things that I was doing. And in the background, I had this pornography addiction. And so this was still going on. And I'm, like, living this all like this in the background. And so that caused a lot of shame. So they're principalities and they're rulers of darkness. And so I believe that they operate just like an army. So when they're smaller, kind of smaller spirits on a different scale, they have kind of like a principality, which rules over these. So it's like depression, drug addiction, shame, guilt, and then, like, ultimately it leads to a climax, like homosexuality, um, suicide, whatever it may be, right? So that's kind of where I was at spiritually. What, what were you asking?
0: So what all were you involved in as, as a child before you came into church?
2: So, yeah, um, when I was about, oh, gosh, I want to say, well, by the age of 15, I'll say. I was involved heavily into, like, internet chatting. Um, back then, it was, like, chat rooms. And so I was on these chats, and I would meet people. And so I met this guy and, like, got into this really emotionally horrible relationship, and my grandparents found out about it. And so that's kind of what I was involved in. Um, but that, that led to pornography. And so I was, I was involved in pornography, from the age of 15. Like and that was an everyday thing until I got in church at 21. And so that was always going on. Um, I had a Xanax addiction from about that same age. And I was involved in like drug trafficking on a low scale. Like I hung out with my drug dealer a lot and I would go with him to go get bigger amounts and take them bring them back to Paragold. And so they don't hear it anyways. <laughs> Hopefully. Ooh. Anyways. Um, so <laughs> but I had like what you would call quote unquote like a low profile car. And so they would always like take advantage of that. Like, okay, we can go in Alexis's car because it's just a little Ford Focus. And so we wouldn't get pulled over because I'm a white girl driving a Ford Focus. And so that was kind of one thing that I was involved in, um, and you know, I would buy alcohol for my friends when I turned of age. Um, I don't know, like just partying every weekend, psychedelics, alcohol, drugs, and I think that partying is a spirit. Um, there's a there's a stronghold in partying just in sure, itself. absolutely. So that was it.
1: So. I know this is kind of a therapeutic kind of a question, but was there anything that you felt like through all the things you were getting involved in that there was anything you were trying to mask in your spirit at the time?
2: Oh yeah. I hated myself. So, um, I like from a young age when my grandparents had adopted me and I was separated from my sister, I had this like self-hatred, because I felt like I had caused all my family's problems. So, anytime my grandparents and my mom would have problems, or we would have any kind of family conflict, I would feel like it was my fault. And even when it was my fault, I had, I almost, like, try to blame other people to make myself feel better. So, yeah, I was trying to mask self-hatred. Also, I was overweight, so I was trying to mask my, um, like, gluttony, I guess. And... I always felt kind of like I didn't fit in, and so I was also trying to kind of speak out loud with that. Like, I don't have to fit in. Kind of like in your face. I'm going to have pink hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to shave my head.
1: So um, were these the things you were saying that altogether everything kind of had its own uh, factor that played into the demonic things you were into, or was it deeper than than this?
2: Um, like, what do you mean? Like everything different was like, what? there was a different reason for everything I was doing. Like, or... are you,
1: like, are you saying that you were involved in just sinful behavior or could you feel demonic spirits? Did you, did you practice anything to bring demonic spirits? Oh
2: yeah. Oh, me and my friends were always doing like Ouija boards and stuff. It was. Yeah, I'm out. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And that's another thing. Like they really did work and, um, and I would never do that now. Oh, Jesus. So what do
1: you mean by they worked?
2: (laughs) So they would really move. And um, we never, I mean, we would always do it. And it was almost like a thrill for us. But I remember doing it. And, I mean, y'all, there was so many things that I did that were not of God. But that was something that was very scary. And I think that brought a lot more fear than anything. And, I mean, obviously witchcraft. So I think that we can talk about witchcraft being rebellion. I mean, rebellion was a huge part of my life. So that was obviously going to come into play at some point.
0: So you dabbled in a lot of spiritual things before you were actually spiritual. (laughs) Yes. So Brian asked me to, um, on the way here, we were texting back and forth, and he said, I want you to tell the story on why you you stayed away from certain things. And I knew the story specifically. He was talking about whenever I was of the age of probably 12 or 13, maybe 14, we got AOL dial-up internet at our house for the first time. And, you know.
2: Dial-up.
0: Yes. So you remember that noise that it made? Everybody of our generation should know it's that. It's like
2: a connecting yeah. phone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Horrible. But um, I remember my dad pulling me aside and says, this is, you can open up a whole new world here. You'll never want to get involved in. And obviously he was talking about pornography. Right. And I remember roughly about that same time at my church, we had a men's Bible, or a young men's Bible studies called gates and fences. And you got to have these fences and gates in your life that you, you tell yourself, self, you're just not going to go past these, mm-hmm. that these are your boundaries. And, um, I remember staying after class one time and asking a lot of questions because I, I was scared of of spirits. I mean, I, I can take—this is a story for another time, but I can take you back to a time whenever I was like seven or eight years old and I saw a demon-possessed woman in our church. So I always knew they were real. So right. I was like real scared from that time on. You know, I don't want to be connected with that kind of lifestyle. And I remember the exact advice that my dad and my pastor gave me at that time was, that you think you're just watching something. It's obviously inappropriate, but it's releasing something in the atmosphere. Into your spirit, yeah. Yeah. That's going straight into your spirit because right. that gateway is open at that time. Absolutely. So you dabbled in multiple different avenues in Oh
2: that time. yeah. Oh yeah.
0: So whenever you told your grandparents, Hey, I want to go to church, what time does it start tomorrow? <laughs> and they were like, uh What? Are you high right now? Or, yeah, uh, yeah, I was.
2: But I mean I knew what I wanted at that point. My so, mind had changed.
0: So walk us through from uh asking your grandparents about church.
2: To when I got the Holy Ghost.
0: To to when you walked into that church for the, that time. Okay. Cause you, you were you were determined to change it at that time.
2: Right, right. So when I asked them um, if or what like what time it started they didn't actually know because they had stopped going to church so at that point they were almost like in a backslidden state and they had forgotten I guess or the church time had changed or something and so I headed up to the church at the wrong time it was already started and so when I got in the parking lot the song service was going on and so I hear this music and it's going on and I'm like trembling in my car, like can't hardly get open the door. And I'm like, I can't go in here. I can't go in here. I am like, I mean, I'm telling you, I had hot pink hair. I mean, I'm my makeup smeared from the night before. I'm literally not I'm not I'm not okay. And so I'm in my car and I'm trying to muster up the strength to go inside. And I open the door and I go in and I mean, I could feel the fight, but I knew that I had to go in there. And so I went in there, I sat by my neighbor, and then the lady that had talked to me, her name's Sister Alma Perez, she came up and sat by me and she hugged me and she said, I love you. And when she did that, I cried. I started bawling. And um, she just hugged me and she said, Do you want to go to the altar? And I said, "Yeah, I want to go." And this
0: was during song service. Yes,
2: song service was going on. A hot pink-headed girl walks in during song <laughs> service, and um, goes to the altar. And you know, I—I I, there was a point right there in deliverance because I was ready to change. It, there was a point there that um, I like threw something up uh, because I was kind of all those things were coming out of me. And thank God there were prayer warriors there who knew what was going on.
0: Were you sober?
2: Um, At that point, no. Because the acid stays in your system for up to 78 hours. So Not stays in your system, but it's like um, it doesn't wear off for like 78 hours. And so there are moments when I still had like, I remember going to my friend's house after, Um, I had gotten in church and got the Holy Ghost and I felt like I was on acid, but it's crazy because I was right next to the place where I had tripped um, that Saturday night. So I don't know, maybe that was like a spiritual thing then too, um, but I have felt like that. So you can even have like, you can have lapses if, if the acid is strong enough. You can have lapses for up to years. I mean, people call it like, being fried or getting burnt out. And I honestly believe that could have happened to me too.
0: So did you, when you went up to the altar, how long did it take you um, to receive the Holy Ghost? Was it that day?
2: So they, some people said they heard me speak in tongues, but I didn't receive it. I mean, I think that I got delivered that night for sure. I, I got a level of deliverance. Um,
0: I'm so glad you said that because so many times... Brian, I want your input on this. So many times, whenever people are seeking the Holy Ghost for the first time, we as lifelong apostolics will go be like, "Oh, they're receiving the Holy Ghost, but they don't even—they're not even sold on it themselves." But then that gives them almost like an excuse, like, "Well, I don't have to keep trying that hard no more. They already told me I got it." I mean, you know what I'm saying, Brian? Like people that's coming up to the altar, and we as ministers go to them and we we hear them or see them speaking in tongues, they're like, that's it, you've got the Holy Ghost.
1: Well, I I don't necessarily have, I don't think I've necessarily seen it like that. Uh, But what I have seen is I have seen, uh, actually, you know what? Uh, Okay, okay, okay. I think I know what you're talking about. Because I I don't know, I guess mentally I'm having a blockage between what you're saying and how I'm picturing in my mind. I have seen ministers, uh, especially like different Holy Ghost crusades or whatever, uh, be pointing people out. And, and saying, well, they received the, receive the Spirit. They received the Spirit. Um,
0: that's specifically it, what I'm talking about. Okay,
1: yeah, I don't know why, but whenever you, <laughs> the way you phrased it or something, I just couldn't get it. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of a touchy subject, because I wonder if maybe the reason why sometimes they do it is they do it almost in a prophetic way, uh, saying... Because I know there was revival here at our local church. My wife, uh, she sings on the platform quite a bit, and... <sighs> And during one of the revivals that happened here at the church, the minister was speaking about people receiving the Spirit, and she could see from the platform there was, there was nothing visibly there. Now, here's the thing. In the apostolic Pentecostal movement that we're a part of, we believe in an initial sign that accompanies the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Right. And that initial sign is speaking in other tongues as exemplified in Acts chapter number 2. Um, I believe that is it is implied in Acts 8, it's explicit in Acts 10, and it's explicit in Acts 19. And so we believe that initial sign needs to be there. And so to get to the core question of... Now, now ex, ex, put the exact question out there.
0: How many times have we told a first-time Holy Ghost seeker that, yes, you received the Holy Ghost, and they felt like, well, I don't think I had, did I? And then they go back and say, well, I don't need to try again next Sunday because I've, they, they told me, they're apostolic, they know what they're talking about, they told me I got the Holy Ghost.
1: Yeah, okay, so one thing that we see here at our local church, what our pastor does is, rather than telling them that they received it, he lets them tell what happened. And so I think that whenever it comes to the seeker who's been praying through in the altar, it, it's not really our place to say what happened, because we're not God. We don't know what's happened in the heart of a person. But the person who's there can tell what happened to them. They know whether or not that their, their spirit was infilled. They know whether or not their tongue was taken over by the Spirit of God. And they know because they know as they were praying, they can tell. Because I remember what happened to me is I had initially received the gift of the Holy Ghost whenever I was very young. We got a little bit older. And I remember I used to beat myself up because I felt like whenever I'd pray, I couldn't have a breakthrough. And I began to question whether or not the experience was real. And I remember I went to a youth camp, and I remember as I lifted my hands in the altar during the last night of a junior camp I was working, I remember speaking in tongues. And when that began to happen, I remembered in my mind, independently from what my mouth was doing, in my mind I heard the words as I was telling myself in my mind mentally, you're doing it this is real because after the years of in between i had begin to question well did i do that did i manufacture that in my own mind right, but i knew in that moment that it was real because it's hard to convince somebody that something didn't happen when they were there when it happened and i think that it is important that the individual expresses what has happened because when they say this did happen to me then there's that's a definitive statement that yes I have been filled with the Holy Ghost. I have had this experience with God. God has changed my life because when you say that about yourself, when you declare what God has done in your life, it solidifies it in faith. It locks it into your spirit. And whenever there are times later on that you may begin to question, you can bring back up that memory. No, I remember because I declared the moment that it happened. It wasn't just somebody told me something happened where years later I can say, well, maybe they were wrong. Maybe they really didn't know. Right. But.
2: Well, and. I I could go back and I I just tell you what I think about that whole thing. Um, I wasn't going to stop seeking God, period. So whether or not I got the Holy Ghost, (laughs) I was going to keep going to the altar. Right. So it was a heart issue. And I think if, you know, if we're talking about it conceptually, if somebody is um, seeking God, for example, and they're bound, it doesn't matter how many demons they're bound by. They can make that up in their mind, and they will keep coming if they want deliverance.
1: Well, there was the the guy in the Bible that he slept in the tombs. And uh, this may sound kind of creepy. Well, one time I was thinking about this guy, and I actually drove into a graveyard and I went, got, got out and I sat on a tombstone just to picture what it was like for him to, to sleep amongst the tombs. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and just in the few moments that I was out there, because you know how uh, in the Bible it talks about how the guy would hear voices. And, and, right. and, and, and I was just thinking out there, here he is, he's alone in this tomb with all these skeletons that are out there he's probably thinking that these skeletons are the things talking to him. He probably thinks that these these deceased bodies are communicating with him. This is how demonically possessed he was. He could break chains. He was an uncontrollable figure, but yet he still, when Jesus arrived on the coast, he still went and worshipped him.
2: Right, exactly. Because
1: even though he was possessed by legions of devils, Mm -hmm. he was still able to control himself enough that when Jesus showed up, he went and bowed before him.
2: Exactly, exactly. Uh,
1: You're a little bit more braver than I am, Brian. Oh, no, I knew that to begin with. <laughs> but, Alexis,
0: I'm glad that you said that it didn't matter what other people said. You had a, a mission. But they
2: didn't tell me that until after I had gotten it and received it for myself. So, um, you know, a few people told me later on, well, I heard you speak in tongues the first night, but I just didn't say anything. They didn't tell me that night. They, um, you know, waited, of course, for me to... Um, I think they, you know, they they knew that I was just really fresh and didn't know what I was doing, so. But yeah, um, that they were really good about what they were um, they were praying for me. I mean, that was they were really encouraging me. But um, yeah, I didn't get the Holy Ghost or receive it until that next Wednesday, and I got baptized on that Wednesday as well.
0: Shame on you! Don't you know you're not supposed to get the Holy Ghost and be baptized on a Wednesday night?
2: I mean, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. I want to ask you a question here that is um I'm asking you to be 100% real here. Okay. After you've been baptized and after you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, did you still struggle with the things of your previous past life?
2: Um yes. So I I thought about this question cuz The questions that you sent me, um, I made sure to think about those a little bit on the drive over, and this is one that I hesitated with, and I was like, well, you know, as apostolics, I think we try to be real polished, and we want to say, well, you know, um, after you get the Holy Ghost, honey, you just are a pure as white saint, and I mean, you're just floating on the clouds, and nothing's wrong, but you know... I had a hoodie that I had gotten from my girlfriend, and that thing freaked me out, and I was praying one night, and I called up my mentor, and I said, hey, I'm being spiritually attacked here, and I didn't know what to do, and I had people texting me for drugs, and I was fighting stuff, so when you get the Holy Ghost, of course, yes, you're still battling. It's not you know, marigolds in the in the fields. It is literally a battle. So I think that that is a misconception and definitely something that we have to be very clear with new converts. This is we have to help them with spiritual warfare, especially in our generation.
0: Right, because it's very clear to me that whenever you you change your lifestyle, you're yeah, you are of the world and you the devil's not necessarily attacking you because he's got you right where he wants you. Mm-hmm. But when you decide to make that change and start coming into the church and living different, all of a sudden you've got a huge bullseye on your back.
2: Opposition, of Absolutely. course. Of course. So
0: I think it's a the, one of the biggest misconceptions of Christian, not just apostolic living, but Christian living is, oh, I'm going to go into church and change my life and turn it around, and I've got to have an easier lifestyle. This isn't an easy, easy li- easier lifestyle. No. It's really not. So to hear that people struggle
1: after they have decided to make that change it's it's real and the thing is too whenever you're coming out of the lifestyle that you came out of mm-hmm. uh, it is a lifestyle. It's not yes. just some sin that somebody's struggling with. Right. Like they, somebody that has never gone to church before and they just know, well, you know, I need to have a relationship with God. That's one thing. But when you're talking about coming out of drugs and homosexuality, that is an entire lifestyle. And so yeah. you've got people that we had to be prepared for in, in Christianity that come in from these lifestyles and it's hard to get connected with who your whole identity has been wrapped up in for so long. You've got exactly. people like with drugs and alcohol, relapse over the overwhelming majority of time, relapse is just a matter of time. Uh, a lot of people relapse. That doesn't mean just because they relapse, they, they had a false experience with God when they first came to an altar. It's just that you have to understand what these people are fighting. Exactly. And, and, and many people out there, if you've been going to church very long, you've seen it happen as the person comes in off the street, so to speak, and they go back, and then they come back again. Right. It isn't saying that they're a bad person. It isn't saying that they didn't have a true experience like you had. It's just they're fighting against something that you didn't fight with. And I've heard people say before, people aren't addicted to drugs or addicted to people that are addicted to drugs. I don't know necessarily how true that is, but I think it is a very interesting statement in the fact that even if you get delivered from the drugs, there's still friends that can pull you back into that lifestyle. And there has to be, again, it goes back to a to- total fundamental life change. So what should the church's response be? When a person comes in from that lifestyle, they have to get disconnected from those friends. Not in exactly. the sense that they can't reach out to them and witness to them. But you can't hang out with them on a Saturday night anymore No, because you, you can open up the door to the relapse. And then let's even take it beyond that. People from other faiths, people from the Muslim faith, people that, that are Muslim, they grow up believing that the greatest sin that you can ever commit is the sin of shirk. And the sin of shirk is the sin of converting to another religion. Their families will disown right, them. Right, yeah. It's an entire lifestyle change. And so when they come to the altar, many times they're afraid to go to the altar. Are many, are, they may want to draw closer and have a different kind of walk with God. Maybe they even believe that Jesus may be the true God. But they're battling with, well, I'm going to have to give everything up. My families will shun me. I can't go back to my own country if they're like a foreign exchange student. Mm-hmm. The church has to step in and become a family to those people because they have to change everything about who they are. And so it's hard for people sometimes to come in and have a total 180 change because there's a lot of things, that there's a lot of variables out there.
0: Absolutely. And that brings me to a question that I'm so excited to ask you. So you've been an open book so far, and I really feel like you, you may be ministering to somebody right now that you'll never know. To know. I mean, right. uh, we, look, I'm not going to sit here and brag, but Brian and I have looked at our demographic of who's been listening to us and i don't know where these people come from brian but we're blessed to have them and we don't know everybody who this is going to impact excuse me but alexis sometimes homosexuality is viewed as one of the worst sins and it shouldn't be that way but the church doesn't know how to deal or approach a homosexual Mm -hmm. but everyone has a soul and they need to be reached correct Mm -hmm. right what does the church need to know
2: so I think that it's really important for the church to know that sometimes the people that look the farthest from God are really hearing His voice, and we are not able to perceive that um, unless we walk in the Holy Ghost, of course, and we can feel the unction of His Spirit saying to go witness to someone. Um, you know, I've had several friends that battle with homosexuality reach out to me, and I would say that for for me, what I've done is I just treat them with love. And I don't think that, you know, I mean, that's that's easy to say, right? Treat them with love, but we're really judgmental. And if we can just take away our misconceptions and our ideas you know that person generally homosexuality first of all we have to understand there's there's a lot that's connected to it it's not just homosexuality it's shame it's you know with me depression it's fear it could be abuse from years and years and years of abuse so i mean this is a person and i think um acknowledging that it that that person is a person (laughs) is the first thing, and to approach them as so. Um, Not approaching them as though they have something that is this huge demon that we can't fight, because it's not, it's really not.
1: I think, and I have a, this is probably a controversial opinion, but I think one of the reasons why people perceive homosexuality as being one of the quote-unquote worst sins is it's because it's the easiest sin to preach against. Because 50% of people get divorced. You don't know, in an on honesty, how many people struggle with pornography. And there's all these different sins out there that affect such a high percentage of the population, mm-hmm. but homosexuality is like, what, 2% of the population? And, and so some. And so sometimes it's really easy to preach against that because there's not a lot of pushback against it. And I think that that kind of amplifies in the minds of people because that's the... whenever you ask somebody, well, name a sin that tends to be the only sin is really preached against because well, these other things that, are hard to preach against and the preaching the against
0: And the preaching against is almost getting pushed to the back burner because of the, the Asian, Asian times that we live in.
1: Oh, yeah. And even that is, is you're beginning to hear less and less about it as time goes. Absolutely. Because now this is a very uh, protected class of people. Right. So let me ask you this. That's a political way to put that.
2: Well, it is, though. And I would say protected. we need to approach them without fear. Because mm-hmm. I think that there's almost a stigma of fear in apostolics and Christians of like, oh my God, well I can't say this and I can't say that.
1: You, you, you want me to be totally honest with you? As a man, I get offended when you don't tell me what you actually believe. When you skirt around an issue, I get a little bit offended because I'm like, well, what do they have to hide? Right. I think it's important that we're honest about things and what we actually believe. We need to not just preach against. And of course, so let me qualify. You know, here's you know, I'm about to say the word qualify. I'm tired of having to qualify everything that we have to say in the church. Stop right
0: there, Brian, because you said something way <laughs> back in episode like two, I think, that you said we as apostolics shouldn't have to always be on the backpedal. Yeah, I said say, that with
1: uh, Pastor C. Smith.
0: Yeah, oh, that's what it was. You're right. We shouldn't always have to explain or be like, well, I don't want to be viewed as a certain way. I mean... Right is right and wrong is wrong.
1: Because yeah, right. I was about to say, let me qualify, is I'm not saying we should only preach the things we, we shouldn't do, but the things that we should do. And, and, you know, it's a shame that we have to qualify and be like, hold on, we, we're for some stuff. We're not just against everything in the world. You know, there are some things we're against. Let, let's just be honest. There are some things that as a church we have to be against. We're not against the people. We're against the action. The we sin. cannot accept certain things and, and treat it as normal and treat it as right. It's just something we cannot do now. Of course, take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. I'm not a pastor. I'm not, your, I'm not the listener's pastor out there. I'm just saying, as a Christian perspective, as someone that is a potentially—you never know what God's going to do—a potential leader in the future church. I think it's important that our generation, the millennial generation that we're all a part of, we still hold on to a few things. We actually still have some we conviction have to. We in have us, to. and there's some things that we need to have a backbone about, and we need to be be strong in the pulpit of, even though our culture is going to push against it that backbone is going to get tested under the pressure as time goes on and if we don't even have the strength to stand for something right now you can forget it in 10 years you can forget it in 10 years it's just
2: gonna get worse yeah you're right you're right
1: let me
0: follow up that question with a question that it has for the last 10 years has been talked about saying about (laughs) has been on billboards and yeah yeah I know exactly – you know exactly where I'm going. When you, as a changed homosexual, has mm-hmm. asked this question or heard this
1: statement, I was born this way, mm-hmm. what is your response to that? And in response, can you answer it in this way? How did you get into a homosexual relationship? Like How, how did it all happen? Did you – because he's asking, were you born this way? Is it something that and you if felt it's a as a no. kid? Or h- how did you lead into right. that lifestyle?
2: Okay, so for me, it piggybacked off of a sexual perversion which derived from pornography. And that is something that whenever I'm talking to somebody who's battling um, a spirit of homosexuality or just sexuality in general... I generally, you know, I haven't talked to any, like, a lot of people about it, but there are a few people I've been like, hey, have you ever battled with, you know, watching things you shouldn't watch? And generally, it's yes, because that is something that feeds that. And so that's where it came from for me. I um, just, you know, wanted to explore that possibility. And so, but as far as Born This Way... For me, I knew that I was not born this way, and I never tried to push that. Now, I do have friends, and I know people that do, and my response to them is always biological and scientific. Because if you cannot, if there is not a biological reproduction happening in a relationship, then that cannot be a successful relationship in science. And so, for me, born this way is. Not even valid. Let me tell so, you a so, funny response yeah, to this. Let
0: me tell you, it's, it's kind of comical. Yeah. The response Blinded was, up, Tony. <laughs> I was at, I think it was youth convention in an Illinois district, and that's when the Lady Gaga song came out, I was born this way. I think that's where
1: it was. Don't quote me on this. But the preacher said, well, be born again then. <laughs> and I think that is, honestly, it's very deep in a way, because even if you were born that way, it doesn't mean you can't be born again.
2: Well, and there are people who have a predisposition because I know people that have like, and I'm not even going to call it a predisposition. Their personalities are feminine. I have a friend who his personality, he was just, he's feminine. But you have a choice whether you're going to submit to society and culture and what they're saying about you. And you know that choice and it's over and over in your mind. You, I mean, you have to make a choice. It is a choice, and I think that's a cop-out. That is such a cop-out, born this way.
1: I believe that, and, you know, I've always believed that um, homosexuality is a choice, but I have seen a few people that honestly has made me question because I've seen people that that were very young that were very effeminate, and I was like, man, what's what's going on there? But you brought up something that I think, two things that I think are huge. One thing is the scientific thing. Um, the, The fact that someone could be born in a homosexual way I just don't see how it could be scientific because take I a agree. take a purely secularist argument because the secularist believes in evolution. If
2: the human race cannot continue,
1: it cannot continue. So if there is a gene within somebody that predisposes them and makes them into a homosexual, how is that in the human genome? Because it can only be we can only be reproduced by a heterosexual couple. And so, a heterosexual relationship. So how did that pass through the genome? How is that still in the DNA strand? It's literally impossible. And so in in science, they would say, well, everyone is... The gay gene. Everyone is born with it. It, Just a few people are predisposed to it. And so what is it that triggers it? It isn't something chemically in the body that scientists have proven, but it's environmental. And so I think that that, the, the scientists prove that it's impossible that you were born that way because it is an environmental change. It is not nature. It is nurture. It is a decision. It is factors that happen in someone's life. Uh, There's many different things that could trigger it. So here's the thing. I agree with the scientific thing that says that within every person is the potential for homosexuality. I do believe that because I believe we all have a sin nature. I think that all of us have the same potential not only to be homosexual, but to be an alcoholic. We all have the same genetic possibility of being part of the human race to be predisposed to any sin, but every sin is a choice in an individual. Yeah. And so, yes, I do believe in a, in a sense you are born that way because everyone is born with a sin nature, yeah. but you can be born again. But oh, the other man. thing that I think you opened up the door to that is that is a, a big topic is the introduction of pornography and inter- in the, how, how that changes and augments the mind of an individual. Oh,
2: absolutely, absolutely. It, it perverts it. It's a perversion. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, simplest terms, it's a perversion.
1: It is. So it, I, so it changes, you know, the way you view others.
2: The Bible says that it they changed the 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 meaning of a man into what it shouldn't have been, and right. that's exactly what pornography does to whoever's involved in it.
1: There's a book out there. It's uh, entitled um, "How the Oh What's the Name?" The Cyber Effect. Uh, it's a book that I, I was reading on audio, listening to as an audio book a few years ago, and I got out of it, and actually started on the way here tonight because I knew we were going to talk about some of these things, and, and and you know the human technology does have a way of augmenting the mind of an individual. I know in my personal life, I dabbled in pornography as well, and I would say that I was a porn addict as well. And I know that it augmented my mind to where I still struggle with the way, with some of the things that I that I was introduced to, the things that I it saw. It
2: leaves scars on, I mean, it leaves scars. You have scars.
1: It, it certainly introduces a spirit of lust into an individual.
0: So as we were on our way to the church tonight, Brian, I... I I called you and I said, hey, I, I've, got to, I've got to make a stop real quick. It took a little bit longer than I anticipated. So as you were, you were kind of looking up some stuff that you knew we would be talking about. And I did the same thing. I found these statistics online. And I mean, statistics can be very boring, but I found these very intriguing. And it is the stats of pornography because pornography in the church gets skipped over very easily. It does. Um, and it's... it's a sin that more people in the church deal with than we're willing to admit.
1: No. I mean... Can I I be honest? I hear more preaching against it at youth camps than I do to adults, and I see why people do it, but I think adults struggle with it just as much as youth could ever
0: I want right. I want to give you a couple of stats here that absolutely blew my mind I'm gonna give you five of them there's plenty right. of them to choose from but these I saved these five for you all it says 12 percent of websites on the internet or pornography that is four million six hundred forty 24,644,172 sites that are free do you know how easily accessible that is for I a mean child? children exact children and so how old
1: were you when you
2: it was like, um, I would say no. 14,
0: 15, 15,
2: right. I would say safely 15.
0: Yeah, and this, these are for 18, mm-hmm. 18 years old or older. 18
2: years or older, yeah. yeah.
0: So 40 million Americans are regular visitors to these sites. Really let that sink in. How many people are in our movement? Right. I mean, it just blows your mind. Uh, 2.5 billion emails that are sent are pornographic. That's a huge number. Thirty-five uh, percent of all internet downloads are pornographic. Um, there, this one just blew my mind. We'll, we'll just stop right here because I mean, we could pass over these, but this one absolutely blew my mind and and broke my soul. There are one one hundred and sixteen thousand searches for child pornography every day. Oh my word! Wow.
2: And that's what, that goes back to what it is all about. It's a perversion. And that's why I think that it leads so many people down the road of homosexuality as well, because that is also a perversion of m- mankind. The Bible calls it an abomination. And I would say without any reserve that Pornography is an abomination as well.
0: Absolutely. I said that was my last one. I wanted to add one more to that just because we're simply talking about it right now. But it says the average age of a child which first sees pornography is the age of nine years old. Wow.
1: And I'm but, sure that's going to get lower and lower. At, at, at the, the age
0: goes. of nine years old, that scars mm-hmm. your, your scars your life. You're scarred for life. I mean, I, ca- I can't. It's images that's burned into your brain, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Um, and, and, you know, I can say, and it's just cause we're being very open as a person who, who was involved in that lifestyle of, of, you, of viewing pornography quite frequently still today. And it may disturb a few is that there are people that think nude images are a joke to be shared as a meme. And as someone that has struggled with it, it's a hard thing whenever you see that not to be kind of tempted to draw back into that. Um, And so I think we need to be very careful. So Alexis, he gave all these facts and figures. What is an individual opening themselves up to when they open up that browser?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I just think that you can look at my life and see very clearly. um, Addiction, um, you know, that whole lifestyle. Um, and homosexuality, that was the end result of what I was involved in. And I mean, it it opens you up to um, I think abuse. Um, it's almost like a self- abuse. Yeah right. And so I think that I think it's some deep wounds that you can never, I mean you can heal from those. Yes. Uh, God heals you. I mean, I feel like I've been healed.
0: I want to add to your abuse, because something sparked in my mind when you said that. It may not be physical abuse, but you're abusing your relationship or your marriage. Exactly. Because you all of a sudden put these superstar models up on these pedestals that your wife may never, ever live up to.
2: Or, I mean, and not only that, but I feel like that is, I mean, you're trying to be pure for your marriage, and that is what I talk about a lot. Purity, and you, you're you putting yourself in a, a dirty atmosphere that is right. very not clean. And so, like you said, I mean, I think that you're forfeiting your purity with that.
1: So, so how, how did chemicals uh, contribute into that? Did Because like, uh, the reason why I'm asking is because I know, like, back in the 70s, there was a kind of like a stigmatism between homosexuality and, like, psychedelic drugs and things like that. When you were getting involved, uh, was there any uh, correlation, I guess is the only way I can ask it, between the, the drug abuse and and what you were going through?
2: Um, I would say that it just, it it wasn't, they weren't like, they functioned on different planes, but it was a stronghold together. You see what I mean? Yeah. So
1: cuz it was all ultimately something you were trying to hide behind. Or
2: right. And there was a lot of shame involved in the um like what was going on behind in the background of my life from that age of 15, but I think that um drugs was just something that I just looked at as an escape for pain and that was just a part of the pain that I was harboring.
0: So I want to transition here, Alexis. We have talked for the last hour and 30 seconds about your past.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's celebrate who you are now. Yes. So, like I like I told our listeners earlier, we have seen, or I have seen, your before and after pictures. And uh, I'm going to be very transparent with you. You are... Much more beautiful. Yes, the Lord is
2: inside (laughs) me radiating, I hope. (laughs) Yes,
0: Uh, you're much thinner. Your physique is much thinner. And you have a smile on your face that I can see is real, opposed to the ones you had in your pictures.
2: From the Holy Ghost,
0: yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that transition of coming out of the dark into the light.
2: Right, so um, I mean, so as soon as I... As soon as I got the initial deliverance, like I told you about, I didn't really get the Holy Ghost the first night. But the initial deliverance, um, I went the next Tuesday and colored my hair. So I immediately realized that pink hair was not natural. (laughs) And that was something that I had always wanted to grow my hair out pink and long. But that was just a fabrication of the devil. And so um, I colored my hair to a natural color. And then once I started praying, I would pray every day. I would pray and try to speak in tongues every day at my house. And speaking about pornography, I didn't touch my computer for six months. My laptop, I didn't touch it for six months. And so that was just kind of well, like...
0: Well, hold, hold on. How old are you now?
2: I am 28.
0: 28. So, Dude, don't you know you ain't supposed to ask that question? <laughs>
2: no, it's okay.
0: You're 28 now. I was 21. Yeah, 21 I when I got the And house. as a millennial... Yes, you did not touch what offended you for how long?
2: Six months.
1: Could you imagine? Hey, can I ask you a question real quick? Cause he just says something as a millennial. Does it offend you being labeled as a millennial?
2: No. Okay.
1: It does <laughs> me. And I,
0: I, I tell everybody all the time, I'm not a millennial. <laughs> all <laughs> well, right, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt
2: no. you. No. Um, and so, um, so anyways, that was another transition. Um, like I said, I had all this filth around me, like literal filth in my, in my home. And so I had my friend, my mentor come help me clean my house. And so that was a shock. Um, that was a huge shock. And so that was, that kind of cleansed my spirit as well. And so I think that that speaks to, if you're depressed and you have like a house that's really dirty, I think that that speaks to your spirit too. Um, that was what I was living in and it was just disgusting. I had food everywhere and that was a part of my life that I needed to clean up. And um I stopped smoking pot. Um which I smoke pot every day like three times a day at least and I stopped doing that and then I stopped drinking as well, which I would drink, I mean, throughout the week. And so I stopped doing that. I stopped doing pills. I threw my pills away And I had Xanaxes every day as well. So
0: You told me a story while we were on the phone. Uh, Was that yesterday or today?
2: No, yesterday. I think it was yesterday. yesterday.
0: And I told Brian, and he said, oh, man, she's crazy. But the coolest thing you told me that you didn't share on the podcast, I'll share it for you, is (laughs) people would call you and say, hey, I need my fix. I need my drugs. I need my alcohol. You say, no, but I'll come and take you to church. I'll come bring you to church. Yes. How insane did they think you were?
2: Well— A lot of them congratulated me because, you know, I think a lot of my friends had like somewhat of a background in maybe Baptist church or something that I, you know, we all kind of, we live in the Bible belt, so it's kind of, you can't really avoid it. And so they were really, a lot of them congratulated me like, wow, awesome. Some of them were like, oh, what? Like, (laughs) didn't really believe me. And then uh, the one friend that I was at her house um, the night that I made my decision, she actually um, she told me it wouldn't last till my high wore off. She thought I was just talking out of my head. And I invited her to my baptism. She didn't come. A few of my friends did come to church with me. Um, my drug dealer actually came to church with me, um, but he is I he I haven't talked to him in a while. He used to call me when he was in jail, but that is. Um, that is a miracle that he came to church. So I believe that that seed was planted there. But, yeah, some of them would come to church with me, um, but none of them really got, you know, a few of them got close to getting the Holy Ghost. But uh, as far as that goes, that. but I completely separated myself from my friends because I tried to, so that was one of the biggest things. I talk about my physical transformation. Yes, of course. I started wearing dresses. That was part of my prayer life. My That came from a prayer life.
0: Nobody had to tell you to do it.
2: No. I mean, people taught me Bible studies because I was a new convert, but that came directly from my prayer life. Um, and I don't think that the holiness can come anywhere from any any place except prayer. Um, and so, when people try to
1: now explain, are you praying, God, give me the strength to wear like dressed this way, or is it something that as you prayed, you felt convictions when you weren't living outwardly? Right, you were on the inside. Like, so, how, did, how did that work?
2: Well, you know, the Bible says to pray in the Holy Ghost because you don't know what you're praying. And so I would just speak in tongues. To be honest with you, I didn't know how to pray when I first got in church. And so I would just speak in tongues for as long as I could. And um, I mean, God showed me stuff. I had visions and I thought, wow, I had visions when I did these psychedelics, but this, there was nothing like this. And so you know, I would fast and I would just go on, you know, these, I would just pray every single day. And that's where it came from, really. And I remember God gave me a vision that really stuck with me. And it was like um, creation. And I saw all these ladies with long hair. And I mean, they were like, you know, I could tell it was during Adam and Eve because they were all like not wearing clothes, but I didn't see, it was like a pureness, you know, it wasn't like, oh, wow. It was like they all it had was long a pureness,
0: not a perversion.
2: Right, exactly. And so they were like all with long hair, all the ladies. And so I realized quickly I was a hairdresser. And so I realized quickly that um, I had to get out of that as well. And so, but the main thing was getting away from those friends. And not that I had to flee from them. I mean, I tried to hang out with them, but they just all did drugs. And so I couldn't be around that because that was a lot of temptation there to do drugs.
0: So as you continue to develop, as an apostolic, Mm -hmm. you have made leaps and bounds, and I have recently seen that you've went on some trips overseas. Right. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: So um, initially when I would wake up in prayer, God would wake me up in the middle of the night and pray, and so I developed through that prayer life a burden for all cultures, specifically like um, I would pray for like Asian cultures. Cause I would always, um, I knew like from hearing, I guess from missionaries that would come through our church or whatever the, is it the 1040 window where there's not yes. 1040 window? Yes. And so um, it's a 1040 window in the earth where there's the least amount of Christianity at all. Um, and so I really, really got into praying for that, and so I would pray a lot for that, and so that propelled me into this hunger for missions. And Brian,
0: explain the 1040 because I'm not, I'm unfamiliar.
1: It refers to the um, parallel, uh, the latitude and longitude. Yeah, 1040. The, it refers to the the uh, I think it's the latitude lines or longitude lines. I'm not sure of the 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 whatever the no it whatever it is. It's the the tenth parallel to the fortieth parallel is where all of Southeastern Asia is kind of encapsulated in. So there's all over... In the Middle East. However many billions of people, I guess, and the Middle East or Northern
2: Africa, I think, yeah. too.
1: All, all, whatever that range is, of course, it spans Maybe. around the entire globe. So, right. so, so
0: it's at it it's, it's least populated with, with, with the gospel. yes yeah. yeah. Okay. And
1: so that's the reason, because I think uh, Pastor Tony McCall, he made mention of it as well whenever we were talking to him about how he had a, a heart for Taiwan and, and for China.
2: He's been to Thailand before, I think, too.
1: Oh, interesting. Thailand or something. We just did a podcast with him we're super excited about, but go on,
0: I'm sorry, we're sidetracked.
2: No, and so I had the opportunity, AYC started getting really popular online, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to go on an AYC trip. Asked my pastor, and he was all about it, so I had the opportunity, and actually, India was not my first choice. I wanted to go to Africa, and um, that trip was all out because I think my friends were going to Africa, and so I wanted to go to Africa, or somebody I knew had gone to Africa. And so that was all gone, and so I, they made me pick a second and third choice, and my second choice was India, because my sister's actually half Indian. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just gonna go to India, and then if that doesn't work, I don't know. So India ended up being my first trip overseas to the AYC trip, and that really changed my life. I mean, I shared my testimony there, and that was so powerful. Um, One of, you know, just seeing the culture there and seeing all the needs was very um, life-changing, and so it really, you know, exposure breeds a burden is what they say, so once you're exposed to something, you can't get it out of your soul, so that's kind of where my burden for mission started, and I think also that my pastor always says, the more that you've been forgiven of, the more that you love. And so that is so true. All the holes that and all the scars that have been inflicted upon me through my just my life and my sinful lifestyle, I just was able to flow out of that love for other people. And so that happened. And then I tried to go to college, did CMI, a lot with CMI. Um, my first job in the church was serving the kids cereal, the bus kids, so that was, you know, we all started out, you know, and um, and I started with Sunday school, too, and I still help in Sunday school, and then I had the opportunity to go to Nicaragua, and I'm...
0: Well, you said that the right way. Yes,
2: and I'm also learning Spanish, so I just, I think that being multicultural and being very aware of where we are at um, is important, and so... That's what I've been focusing on.
0: So you have also been a part of Purpose Institute. Yes. So plug Purpose Institute. What has Purpose Institute done for you?
2: Man, Purpose Institute is so awesome. I love it because it not only connected me to local leaders um, like pastors from around the northeast Arkansas, Brother Brother Gay, you know, hearing him talk about his prayer life, and Brother McCall about his education, and just being inspired by people that are, like, touchable – is so important and i think that purpose institutes does that very effectively it's it's um it's it's somewhat of like a knights of the round table kind of atmosphere and i think it gives you um, it gives you something to aspire to be and i think that's really important because sometimes we can get into holes and um, get kind of like down like oh well i'm not going to be anything but when you see people like Brother and Brother Gay, and Brother Murphy, um, those people are really inspiring, and, and that's important. And the content is also great, too. The books that you read are very important.
1: So I want to go back for a moment. Okay. And talk about, about um, whenever you first received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and I want to cue in on this because you've gone through Purpose Institute and so you've done some study about the apostolic faith. Let me ask you this. If you were to walk into any other denomination of, of churches, I'm not going to name any in particular, but if you were to walk in trying to get your life right, do you think the experiences of those churches could have given you what you needed?
2: Um, I think that they're missing the power of this, the Holy Ghost. And so um, it's Ichabod, right, where the Spirit of the Lord has left. And so I think that that is that typifies a lot of North American churches, um, especially in the denominal world. So um, not throwing stones, but like Baptist faith, you know, um, even Methodists who used to practice receiving the Holy Ghost, they no longer do so. Um, and Church of Christ, Um, there's no spirit of God there. And the spirit of God is what breaks all that addiction and all that, all that bondage. So of course not.
0: So first of all, I would like to say that Brian and I greatly appreciate you spending some time with you. Um, What you've done is incredible. You've shared your story with, we don't know who, and that is awesome. And Alexis, you have a story that you have to share. Right. You have been featured in I've heard magazines and ladies conferences and now a podcast. I don't know if this is your first podcast or not, but yeah, it is. We greatly appreciate you telling your story and I want to as long as well as Brian ask you to continue to tell your story because Absolutely. you never know who or what may break in somebody and i want to ask where does the hurting apostolic woman go from here um what was there anything specific that that you turn to other than just coming to church right that on a dark day that you are struggling after you've been in church or a a time where you thought i don't know if i can handle this Is there something specific that you turn to that you can say, hey, this is what really helped me?
2: Yes. So one thing that really sticks out in my mind is the Bible, Um, and I think that we underestimate the Bible's power.
0: It's almost cliche to say the Bible nowadays.
2: But I mean, I mean really the Bible. Like, I mean... There is a time when I thought that I was not going to make it, and I'm on my knees in prayer, and I am quoting, reading from the Bible the same Scripture, and I'm not only quoting it, I am praying it. And when you pray the Word, if you're hurting, God can heal that through His Word. And I think we underestimate the power of the Word.
0: So, Brian, Jelaine Lumpkin, we sat down with him and talked, And David Aiden both said the exact same thing. I don't know if you've caught it, but it's really been on my heart ever since we left North Little Rock. We heard them both say, there's going to be times in your walk with God that you can't pray. Absolutely. You You can go through the motions, right? but it's at that point where we have stock that we've put in to prayer that we can pull from, and we just need to have enough strength to say, God, lay my name on an intercessor's heart. It is very important for all of us to have that communication with God and to have that stock built up. So what what has prayer meant to you through all the tribulations that you faced?
2: Well, I recently lost my, both of my grandparents. And I can tell you that through the loss of them, I know that prayer, and specifically in prayer worship, um, has been uh, man. I I mean, I call on I call talking about calling on intercessory prayers. Um, I've called on the prayers of my grandmother many times, and the prayers of even Nona Freeman. I've called on those, and I say, Lord, let the prayers that they pray. That are a memorial to you come to me and I think that there's power in that. there's power in prayer, the prayer of others but yes, I do have a group of people that I can call and I know that they will pray for me and prayer is is the key really.
1: What's your biggest passion right now?
2: Um, my biggest passion right now is, oh man, revival I I mean and I you know I've been teaching Bible studies to people that have been coming to our church, and I don't think that there's anything better than that. That's the grassroots level right there, and I think that sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves. I want I want to be here. I want to be on the mission field. I want to be working with this. I want to be preaching. I know God that you called me, but then actually day to day when somebody comes in the church, can they count on me? I think that that has kept not only kept me accountable. That's very deep. kept that, me accountable but it's been it's been a beautiful thing for that's me. That's
0: very deep. I want all of our listeners right now to ask yourself the question, can they count on me? That's that's a crazy
1: question. That is a very crazy question. That's deep. It really is. Um I sent a text message to Tony cuz I didn't want to forget. I want to talk a little bit more about how you said exposure breeds a burden, mm-hmm. because I mean, I believe that with everything in me. Yes. When when people ask about, man, I just don't know what what I can do. I don't know what I can do for the kingdom, and I just don't, I, I just don't know if I have a burden for anything in particular. You just get involved in everything. Get involved in everything you can get involved in, because that exposure breeds a burden. And and, and I'm sure you know with you saying the thing about, um, you obviously had a burden for missions already. Right. But you for the individual places, when you got there, you were exposed to it. So so in your experiences of being exposed to different things, how has those burdens that you, you've met, how has that changed you as an individual?
2: I mean, I can think of times the experiences that you have, the experiences that you have are so important. And I remember a time when I was in Sri Lanka and we just went in 2000, what was it, last year? It was last summer. We went in, um, I was dancing in the spirit with a lady there. And, you know, I will never forget that moment because it wasn't just connected, it was connected to an emotion. And I think when you have an experience connected to an emotion that is spiritual, then that starts to stir something There was a moment on the beach with some Muslim ladies. And, I mean, every time I think about that, I just want to break down and cry. And if somebody said to me that they don't feel a burden for anything, I would begin to be very worried because you can go to your local mission outreach and see all the needs. I mean, that is just in our – I don't know how it is in Jonesboro, but in Paragold, I mean, there are babies that are – literally crack babies and their children that don't have shoes we're helping them right now at our church and i mean you just go down to the other side of town as they say you know and that should give you a burden pretty good one
1: it kind of offends me in in a sense when people talk about how um I'll say it like this. This is where my conviction about what I'm about to say came from. I remember coming back from one of those senior camps whenever I had prayed through the Holy Ghost, and everybody in our youth group was talking about how we want to go on a missions trip. And our pastor at the time says, why don't you reach somebody down the road first? And and, and I kind of, in a sense, it makes me question whenever someone is so driven to go do a missions trip, Halfway around the world, thousands when there's of miles, hurting
0: miles. people in our community, and there's people
1: here. I'm not saying don't go on missions. I'm not saying that at all, right? But what I'm saying is, is that there's great. One of the greatest mission fields is is still here in North America as well. And so, while you're here in the transition, in the time between the next AYC or the next missions trip or whatever it is, while you're here, make the best of where you're at.
2: Yeah, and my my pastor told me this way. He said, "Bloom where you're planted, Alexis. Don't." Try to get it, you know, and and I've heard this from many voices in my life. Don't try to, don't try to get ahead of yourself. Bloom where you're planted. You work where you are and God's going to work through that. And you can't. It's like Court Chavez's testimony. I don't know if you've ever listened to his message, The Anointing of Frustration, but he talks about where his pastor was his dad and he made him sit still for what, like six years? And he's like, But I've been called to evangelize. God did speak to him and told him, Go. But his pastor, his dad, knew the timing of God. And so I am very, I'm. Trying to be intentional right now, and that's where I'm at. I mean, I'll be honest with y'all, that's where I'm at. I'm trying to be intentional about waiting on the timing of God and but, not letting my passion, as you ask, what's my passion, not letting my passion supersede wisdom and timing of God.
0: Alexis, we're about to wrap it up, but before we do, I would like for you to speak to the confused girl, to the confused lady, to the confused... Um, they don't know quite where they're at, Um, maybe be with their sexuality or with their relationship, or they just might feel lost in general. Can you take about the next 30 seconds and speak to them right now?
2: I would say to you, beautiful girl, that you are God's child, And the Bible says that you are worth more than precious rubies. And for you to second guess that and give yourself up to anything less than that is not worth it. So you just find yourself an apostolic church and or just start praying where you're at right now. And I'm going to pray for you in the name of Jesus. Can I pray? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Lord, right now, God, I pray for anybody that's listening to this, Jesus, God, that you would wrap your arms around them and lead them to someone that's speaking the truth. God, I pray, Lord, that you would enter into their lives, let your anointing flow over them, God, and break the yoke of bondage on them, God. Oh, in the name of Jesus right now, God, have your way in their lives. God, you have a plan for us. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but God, you do have a plan for us. And that's what I would say that God does have a plan for you.
0: So they can connect with you still. You have a YouTube channel.
2: Yes. Me what? and my friend Chelsea. Yes.
0: How can they find that YouTube channel?
2: So on YouTube we are Passion, Purpose, and Purity. And we need to post some videos right now. But yeah, also, you said we're
0: a little behind right, right now. Right, we're
2: a little behind because school started and the summer's been a little crazy, but Yes, that is happening, and also, I'm going to, there's a conference coming up in November, and it's a purity conference, it's Pledge to Purity, and it's for young girls, and that's going to be this November, so if you find me on Facebook, you'll be able to get connected with that and make plans to come to that, that's going to be a great event.
1: We end our podcast by giving our guests the opportunity to plug any books, and then we give them the final word, but before we get there, I want to ask one more uh, topic for discussion that early on we made, you made mention of and that I want to I, I take a brief moment and, and make sure that we've talked about it. You talked about how you, you, kinda, you struggled with um, many different things, and one of the things you struggled with was a, a lot about your self-image. I'd like for you to speak to the young lady out there that is struggling with their own self-image. Do they need to come to peace with who they are uh, what, what advice would you give to someone that's maybe in your same situation that they really don't know how to, ha- how to handle uh, maybe a lack of self-esteem or whatever it may be?
2: I think that, that, that self-esteem comes through making right choices. Um, I would say that in order to build your self-esteem, you have to find who you are. The question "Who I am" was a string of confusion throughout my adolescence, and I only gathered that answer whenever I found Jesus. And so I would speak to you that if you have Jesus, then that is where your confidence lies. And we have—we all struggle with it. It's a—it's a daily struggle to find your confidence in Jesus and not ourselves, because it's when we begin to trust in ourselves that we can fall to things like vanity and um, pride, and that's not good. So I think finding our confidence in Jesus is the most important thing and letting him be the root of our self-worth in which he loves us more than anybody could ever love us. So I think that just find out that Jesus is the source of your self-image.
1: Whenever, the reason why I thought of that is, is a question is whenever Tony had asked you to speak to to, uh, the ladies before, how you started by saying, you, the beautiful girl, how important is it that that every lady out there sees themselves as beautiful in the way that God created them to be? Because our culture says that's not so, that you need whatever it is that we're trying to sell you so that way you can become beautiful. To conform, absolutely. In order to conform to the image of society. So the
2: question is, how do you view your, find your, what well,
1: well, you said how to you, the beautiful girl, how important is it that every lady out there sees themselves as beautiful in the way that God created them to be?
2: Oh, it's very, very important. And I think that, um, like I said, that image can only be cultivated through prayer and um, through finding out who Jesus is. And when you find out who he is, everything that you are becomes less important. And I think that we construct a false image. We make masks out of everything. And our culture is really good at making masks. And so we have to take the mask off and look in the face of Jesus and say, reflect yourself, and then you'll find yourself that you're beautiful.
0: At family camp two years ago, Jeff Morgan preached on this. Either one of y'all heard that sermon from then? He, He begins his whole sermon by... Um, just naming all the different ways or different names of Jesus, you know, like Hosanna, El Shaddai. He just goes after name, just list of names, just one right after the other. And the whole tabernacle begins to worship and praise and shout. And he said that's exactly the problem with cre- Christianity. We celebrate the name and not what behind the name. That we as, we as Christians put this mask on that people can celebrate. Whenever we take that mask off, it really shows who we are. And how we hurt. I think it's very important that we not only are, we could show ourselves vulnerable, but when you're in that vulnerable state, it's whenever God's able to work.
2: Right. I agree with that 100%. And I think we do have to expose our emotions. I think that's important.
0: So is there any specific reading that you're doing right now that you would recommend?
2: I'm reading a book um, about discipline right now, but I want to plug Follow to Lead because my heartbeat is revival. And if you haven't read Follow to Lead, that is a great book by Stan Gleason. Beautiful, beautiful description of disciple making. And that is how I try to model myself as a disciple maker.
0: So. But
2: the celebration of discipline is what I'm actually reading. Awesome. So <laughs> Sorry.
0: you're fine. So we've covered quite a bit. Give us any final thought that you may have.
2: I just have the final thought that if Jesus can save me, he can save anybody.
1: That's a good, short, and sweet final thought. Thank you so much again for coming on to the podcast and having an honest discussion with us. I know some of these topics aren't the most easy topics. They're not the the things that that a lot of people want to put right out front and center. Uh, These are very intimate things, and so we appreciate you being honest enough to come on and have this discussion with us. And so here in closing... I just don't uh, I really don't even know how to end this podcast because of the you know w- with the subject matter. I don't really know but Tony, I got to ask you a question. What is your passion?
0: My passion right now is self-development. Um ever since we've been doing these podcasts, we have talked to some incredible people. And I've heard their testimony that came out of their test. And I, I, we're gonna be releasing this later so I can talk about it. Jelaine Lumpkin talked about how people would come to her with problems and she would say, Oh, that's a problem. I would kill to have that problem because of the stuff she was facing. For me, I want to realize that I'm number one, I'm blessed. Number two, I don't deserve it. And number three, I'm called to not just leave my family. But myself as well what about you brian
1: i guess my greatest passion right now um it kind of ties in with the podcast is that everybody knows that they're not alone in their struggles is that, that there are people out there that have gone through what you've gone through and i hope that that's one thing that you've you've got from these conversations is that we've had people on that have gone through so many a myriad of different different struggles and you don't have to face it alone you don't have to be alone and And I think that's my passion right now is just letting people know that you're not alone in what you're struggling, even though I may not identify with everything that you've been through, even though I haven't suffered through what you've gone through just recently, there was a gentleman in our church that obviously was struggling it was it was clear from the time they walked in the church service they were struggling and I was just thinking in this situation what what would what would it be what what would I be going through? What is it that I would need to hear? And the only thing I could think of is just thank God that you're here. Obviously, you're struggling with something where you didn't want to be here. Obviously, you fought with something just to get in the front door of the church because there's so many people out there that struggle. They want a relationship with God or they feel so ashamed over something they've done, but they're just afraid of taking that first step of coming to the door. And I just walked by put my hand on their shoulder and I said, man, I just want to let you know I'm just thankful that you're here. Because if there's nothing else that they got out of that service, there were many people that went by and spoke into their life and put their hand on their shoulder. There was one thing that I hope that he remembers above all else is thank God you came, that you were here, that you were exposed to it, that there was a family that was here, because you don't have to face it alone. There's no need in isolating yourself. There's no need in separating yourself from a body. There's no need in running and hiding from a church. But be here. Be involved. Be connected to somebody else, because when... It's dangerous when you find yourself in a lonely place. When you are alone and you've isolated yourself, it's like the—and the, everybody's watched the Discovery Channel. They've seen the, the animal that's at the back of the pack. When he becomes separated from it, that's the right. one that the lions get. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the one the enemy goes right. around seeking is the one that's isolated themselves, that's found themselves on the fringe. Get involved in the church. Get involved with people. Get connected to individuals. Get in the middle of what's going on. Exposure breeds a burden. Get in the middle of the church because you don't have to face these things alone. But you can come in, even though you're imperfect, even though you're flawed, you can come around other imperfect and flawed people, and together there's a strength in that unity. Don't face it alone. Don't be alone. Don't isolate yourself with loneliness.
0: I I, I know how I want to end this podcast. And a lot of people will never darken the doors of our church that listen, Brian, but our church motto is hope lives here. I want to take one word out of that and just encourage everybody that hope lives. This has been a crucial conversation.